Hello, everybody. Welcome. It is UK Cowboys TV Season 1, Episode 59. We are continuing the uh, Positional Breakdown Series, which we started about three weeks ago. Uh, we're going to continue uh, doing that, but in order to do that, we've got a bit of help. Uh, we've got our usual menagerie of uh, Jamie Smith, a.k.a. the subtitle. Uh, and, <laughs> and we've got my Welsh brethren, Richard Jones, joining the team. Uh, but of course, uh, as you can see, and as we've advertised throughout the week, we have the man, the legend, <laughs> and also known in some circles as the boss of Dallas Cowboys Media, we have Mr. Derek Eelton. How are you doing, sir? I am doing well. Thank you so much. That's a great introduction, man. You guys, that's one thing I love about you guys over there in, in the UK. We've We've been uh, we've had a relationship with you guys for a long time since 2014 when we came over, and uh, man, it's still legendary how how well you guys treated us while we were there. We've got some really great memories that time, so uh, so we love c c catching up with you guys when we can. Yeah, and hopefully we'll get to do it again. Uh, not, in, not in the not too distant mm -hmm. future. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, talking uh, of traveling, what have you? Just uh, we don't try and get too political uh, on this show, but we just want to say. Uh, from everyone in UK Cowboys, yourselves over there, the, uh, as well as the players, the staff, and most importantly, you and your family are staying safe uh, during all the craziness that's happened at the beginning of 2020. And uh, yeah. needless to say, it's uh, given everyone a punt this year. Yeah, um, it's been a crazy year. <laughs> yeah, it's just to put it year. lightly, just to put it yeah. lightly. Um, but yes, we'll start off, first of all, breaking into some news, and then we'll uh, start asking you questions about yourself, Derek. Um, the only real news that's come out this week, which is a bit noteworthy for the for the Cowboys, is yesterday it broke out uh, in the in the media circles that the Cowboys have had a, a recent breakout, um, as you say, about the virus. One player in particular cropped up, Zeke, who's not even particularly happy about that. His last tweet uh, just mm. simply said HIPPA HIPAA, yeah. um, <laughs> which is quite right in saying. Uh, have you got a particular take on the way that that's been reported and if there's any truth in the matter as well? Well, I mean, uh, we the, the 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 report got validated basically by his by his agent. So um, I think it's I think we can we can say with some certainty that that it's true. Uh, and I, I'll just caution everybody. I think we all have to. And I, again, I don't know the exact details of how things are with regards to coronavirus uh, there in the UK. But for us in the States and particularly here in Texas, I mean, it, this is going to be an ebb and flow thing for a while. Um, honestly, in my personal opinion, again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. But from the things I've read and heard, it, it seems like this is going to be something that's just going to kind of ebb and flow until the point when there is um, at least some sort of vaccine or even some medication uh, that's able to be able to either uh, keep you from getting the virus or uh, be able to treat the virus, right? So yeah. my suspicion is if, if we're going to keep going and, and every intention is that the Cowboys and the NFL are going to play this season, my, my intention is that, you know, what I expect is that this probably won't be the last time that somebody on the team or associated with the team uh, we'll we'll contract the virus because that's the like football teams are only a uh, a microcosm of society, right? <laughs> yeah. So if people are still contracting it in society, then you would think at some point somebody on the team will probably contract it. And <laughs> and so for again, I, I don't think this is a huge deal. It sounds like uh, you know from from the things that that Zeke said online, and and particularly his mom also tweeted about it. It didn't sound like they were were uh, they were showing symptoms. He was showing symptoms. 
Um, so that's a good thing from from the standpoint of just his health and how he's feeling, which is the part I care way more about is how's he feeling, you know, for everybody that 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 has the misfortune of contracting this this virus. How are you feeling? You know, and yeah. uh, and if and if he's feeling fine, then, hey, you just kind of quarantine him until he's no longer positive and and we keep going right that's the way we have to address it as a society i guess so you know it, this is not going to be i don't think this will be the last time you'll hear about somebody uh that gets the virus um, and we'll just have to deal with it you know 100 percent. yeah uh totally agree with you there and i think perhaps i think my idea was as well is in the season i wonder in terms of managing uh the virus how the nfl will go about you know in terms of reporting it um, on the injury report, I don't know how that's going to go because <laughs> you've got to be so careful with that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, honestly, I don't either. And and uh, and so I this is something that I, I have not heard anything. I'm sure those discussions are ongoing around the yeah. league and the Cowboys are probably a part of that as one thirty second of the league. But uh, I have not heard any details with regards to how that will be handled. I'm sure there will be a plan that will be in place uh, to deal with it because obviously, like I just said, there, this is not going to be something that's necessarily going to that this is the end of it right yeah. uh, it seems like every day you hear about something i think it was a, there was a university i just heard of uh yesterday that had a couple of players that, that tested positive um so it, it, you know this is going to be kind of an ongoing thing and i'm sure the league will have protocols in place uh to be able to handle it manage it and uh, and make sure that they're doing what they can to to keep the players as safe as possible yeah, definitely. Um, well, moving on from that, uh, while we've got you here, we thought we'd ask you some questions about yourself, uh, history of the Cowboys, um, fairly easy subject for you. Um, but first of all, um, as we were saying, uh, you've been with the Cowboys now some going on some two decades, um, so you've got to see it all. In terms of when you first started with the Cowboys, um, obviously things were a lot different. What was it that you were first doing then? Because obviously at now you're you're the boss man. You're the senior of <laughs> Cowboys uh, program. What were you doing when you first got in the building then, Dara? Well, the the uh, when I first got to the Cowboys, I was actually um, hired as a contractor. Um, interesting little story. I was I was working at a consulting firm, and I left that firm because I was tired of traveling. Um, and so I, I'm, I was back home in Dallas. I'd found another job with another consulting firm where I wasn't going to have to travel. And literally, it was within the first uh, few weeks of working at this new firm that um, I was told by my supervisor that there was a, a new a customer that we had a relationship with that was looking to move into the website space. And so they were looking for someone to help them uh, kind of identify uh, what they needed to do in order to be successful in, in the space of web. And uh, again, that dates me because at that point the Cowboys hadn't really done uh, much in the in the in that uh, in that vein. So uh, so I, I lo and behold, I go out to meet with them, and it's the Cowboys. And uh, I talk to them, and uh, you know, we we create a, a relationship where I'm now contracting with them and helping them work on their web strategy. Um, and then a couple of years later, they actually uh, hired me directly, um, and I became at that point the website manager. Um, and my job at that time is only three of us. It was myself, Nick <laughs> Eatman, who's our main writer, main beat writer now, and actually handles all of our editorial. He's our um, our senior uh, senior manager of, of editorial content, and uh, a young a man named uh, Alan Larkin, who was our webmaster at the time. And between the three of us, uh, it was our job to figure out what web was going to be for the Dallas Cowboys. So, <laughs> as you can imagine, we were pretty 
you know, we tried everything. We did all <laughs> kinds of crazy stuff back then. I mean, it doesn't sound crazy now, but we were coming up with ideas on how we could put video on our homepage, which back then was something nobody did. We were really, we did it before ESPN did it. And yeah, the yeah. reason why was because we were so small, we were so nimble and uh, we had ownership. Uh, my direct boss at the time was Jerry Jones Jr. So we had ownership buy-in to really try a lot of things and be creative and come up with ways we could engage our audience. And so we tried all kinds of stuff um, and, and kind of pushed the envelope and created what is uh, now known as DallasCowboys.com um, and, uh, and you know, got into podcasting back 16 years ago, started our first podcast. And at the time, it wasn't even called podcasting. We called it online radio. Yeah. And, um, and so we did that. And we've been doing that since then, myself and Nick. And now we've uh, kind of grown that business to where we've got a ton of podcasts yeah, uh, on yeah, DallasCowboys.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, it started with just the web. And then a couple of few years later, uh, then we saw an opportunity to get into mobile. Uh, and we had our first mobile app built. Um, and then we, we saw an opportunity to start social media uh, accounts. And so I, I literally went out and created a Cowboys Facebook page and created a Cowboys Twitter page. And, and we just started kind of putting content on there, not knowing what it would turn into and uh, started developing those platforms. And so that's how it started building our digital business. And after that, uh, then I was, uh, had the opportunity uh, to then be, uh, become the, uh, the lead on our publications, uh, which we had for many, many years. So that included our star magazine and our game day programs. Um, and then a few years after that, uh, I got the opportunity to be able to run our entire media organization, which includes now television, radio, and then yep. all those other things I, I, I mentioned. So it's just a, been a growth over the years that started with this idea of building a website. And I remember when I first got to the Cowboys, uh, it was it was really weird because most of the people in the building had no idea what websites really were. And so we just it, me and Nick and Alan were just kind of those those guys that were kind of over, over in this little part of the building um, that that reported to Jerry Jr. And we were doing something. Nobody really knew what it was, but we, we were involved in something. And um, and so we had to kind of build our reputation within the organization as well. And that was that took a little bit as well uh, to get people to buy in and understand what we were doing. But. Uh, but over the years, I think we've we've done a good job of uh, of being able to engage our audience and to get some buy-in within the building to where uh, now we have a, a really, really great operation that, you know, we've got about 30 people now on our team as opposed to those three back then. So uh, we've built a pretty good business. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, like one of the things as well, I'm, I'm sure that you, you yourself would have noticed that when you changed a, a more from the website to social media it didn't just bring people closer to the players it also brought fans closer to people um reporting the media like yourselves that suddenly now people uh, have got a, you know you're more tangible and in the eye if you like uh with the fans i mean was that something that happened quite quickly when social media came into play or was it already there i would say to some degree i mean obviously we we started to build an audience um you know, of people that that watched our podcast, watched our shows. Um, and then as social media came along, it gave us an opportunity to engage with those audiences. So people yeah. that we had seen, it had really been a one way conversation for many years. You know, people that yeah. that would send us email and and, uh, and call into our shows. Now we got an opportunity to interact with them on social media. And so um, it created this really unique dynamic there. And, 
and it still is is changing. I mean, I I think the uh, you know you guys have probably seen it. It's it's evolving uh, from you know now because people have you know, and it's particularly with our group. I know we've we've all over the years have been very cognizant of you know how much are we willing to talk about things outside of Cowboys on our social our private social media channels. Yeah, and yeah. I think what we've seen over the last really over the last six months and particularly over the last month. Um, is that more and more, I think our group is, is becoming a little more vocal about just things that matter to us. And, uh, and so those kind of things have changed the landscape a little bit too, because not everybody necessarily wants to follow for all the other stuff, but that is what it is. It's social media and, and everyone has an account mm-hmm. and you get to run your own account, right? <laughs> yes, so, I'll say. <laughs> and, if, and if you want to follow Dave Hellman, you know, you got to listen to everything about LSU football. It is just is what uh, it is. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and if you don't want to deal with that, then don't follow Dave Hellman. There are a lot of people that talk about the Cowboys <laughs> that don't talk about LSU football. And yeah. so you just have to know that that comes along with the with the with the dinner. So yeah, I mean, we we've had Dave on the show and we we've spoken to him a lot, like you say, from the London trip. And yeah. uh, being an Aggies fan, he, he does like to turn that screw in quite a lot when he talks to me. And it's like <laughs> whatever. He does yeah. love his LSU football. Uh, my last question for myself, and then I'll hand you over to the guys, um, was uh, the challenges with trying to make uh, shows as well as the podcast in the current climate. Uh, how's that been for you? Because obviously you can only work from home. It's hard to work in a building. Although things are starting to change back and get back into a normal switch, uh, you know, back to how it was before. But how has it been trying to control everything and trying to manage everything uh, during the crisis? Well, I have a phenomenal team, first of all. And, yeah. um, and it really showed during this whole uh, pandemic uh, when we were first, uh, everyone's first told to kind of shelter in place at their homes. Uh, it really showed how great our team is because we, within a matter of you know a day or two, had a solution for how we could continue our our, our shows, how we could continue our uh, and that's both television shows and podcasts and digital shows. So we had you know solutions in place, and uh, we got all our guys set up, and our guys were engaged, and they were creating content, and guys were starting to get one-on-one interviews with players uh, via you know platforms like WebEx and. And it just, it, it again, it just all fell into place because, again, the team is just really, really good at what they do. Our technical folks are really, really good at what they do. And so uh, for us, although it was different and there were some things that were challenges, uh, it, it doesn't, it, in my opinion, it doesn't necessarily have the same feel as when you're sitting in the room with someone. I'm sure you guys yeah. understand and appreciate that as well. Yeah. When you're sitting next to someone, it, it, there's a different feel to the show. You can get into a little bit more mm-hmm. debate. And uh, and if you watched our show, The Break, you know, we can go at it pretty good. And uh, and it's easier to do that when you're sitting across from someone and they can see your body language and and, and you can kind of challenge them as the you know, in a more dynamic way than when you're on a show that that's on a WebEx or another type of, of technology where you're virtual, uh, where you're literally having to kind of take turns rather than really engage. And so. Yeah, there's some challenges, but I am I'm blessed again to have such a phenomenal crew uh, that's able to make it work and still be able to provide really great content for our fans, despite the fact that we were all having to do it from our homes. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can tell you from uh, speaking from afar, uh, we've been listening to the podcast over here and, you know, it's been, you know, you, we know the challenges involved and it's been uh-huh. nothing, nothing short of almost like as if the wheels never stop turning you know you know that there's a difference yeah. but it has been 
it has been brilliant, you know, fair play. Um, but um, I don't know, uh, have you got any questions, Jamie, for Derek? Um, I think it's one, and we know, we, all, we know, I mean, news can break at any time, and I mean, it's pretty much a free, it's free even though, I mean, this, this NFL season can be short in terms of the regular season, but for you guys, especially, it's pretty, pretty much a 365 day job, isn't it? If news breaks, you guys are pretty much straight on, on the ball and you've got a podcast going. Um, and, and I know there's, there's, people can look at it as perks. You know what I mean, during the off-season, you guys get to go over to Oxnard. But also, I mean, you've got families and you've got friends. Sometimes a little bit away for, I mean, I think what is it, about six to eight weeks, you guys go over or maybe a little bit more to, to Oxnard. So you've, you've not got that normality have you, of, of home life and being able to see family and friends. So kind of, how do you kind of get around that challenge of, of being away from the family for that long in the off season? Yeah, I mean it's um, it's interesting, and if I if I heard it correct, I, there was a little bit of feedback. But if I heard you correct, kind of talking about you know what it's like having to to be away from family, yeah. um, and and really that's a that's one of the things that um, I'm again I'm very fortunate that my wife is as understanding as she is. <laughs> um, she she has been on this trek with me for those 21 years, 21 seasons that I've been doing this, and without her being as supportive as she is, there's no way that that I can make that work. Um, and and having two kids that are now teenagers, but when I started this, weren't weren't alive when I started this trek, right? So, um, you know, they've had to adapt, and and really our lives have kind of <laughs> it's sad to say, but our lives have kind of revolved around NFL football. Um, and so we take our vacations in times when I have, when it slows down, which usually is around that right now, late June uh, to about late July is probably the sweet spot for us to have our family vacations. And, and uh, we know that it's going to be crazy busy. And we know that typically I'm going to have training camp every year in the summertime in August. And, and uh, then during the season, we're going to have games where I'm, you know, traveling and, and home for games. But, you know, on Sundays, I'm doing a lot of, you know, work. And, uh, and so I'm working six, seven days a week. And so, again, it just requires having a, a family that's really understanding of that. And for me, it means that uh, my life has to change a little bit, too. I can't, um, you know, the typical things that, that most people do as far as, you know, the time they spend with friends and hanging out and going out and that kind of stuff. I don't really take that time because the time I'm not working, I try to dedicate that to my, my family and the things I care about, uh, like, you know, serving at my church, things like that. So you, I have to be very, very cognizant of my time uh, because I don't have as much time left after, you know, after, you know, family and work uh, that really, you know, kind of dominates my time. But, you know, again, my family's just they're so <laughs> they're so cool when it comes to, to being understanding. And and uh, and and my wife gets some of the perks, too. She was with me on that London trip. Got <laughs> some of you guys, so it was. <laughs> she gets some of the benefits as well, uh, but yeah, it's it's. It, I'm I'm really fortunate to have a family that gets it, and they're all yeah. cowboy fans. Yeah, my, well, my wife was a cowboy fan before I was. I was not a Cowboys fan growing up. I grew up in Houston, and I don't know how much you guys know about the dynamics in in here, yeah. but you know, in Texas, mm. you got Houston, you got Dallas, and they are like they're like oil and water. The people mm. are very different. The, the cities are very different, and, and there is just, and I assume in most parts of the world, uh, there are typically, if you got one city, you got another city that's kind of the opposite of that, and there's kind of this little tension and rivalry. That's definitely Houston and Dallas. So I grew up in Houston, 
So I was actually an Oiler fan growing up, which no longer is a team. They, they, uh, I think they went away in the early '90s, mid '90s, something like that. Maybe even late '90s. Huh. Uh, but, but at the time when I came to the Cowboys, there was no Houston Oilers, um, and so, and so I, it was very easy for me to transition and become a Cowboys fan because my team no longer existed. I do wonder how that would have been different for me growing up an Oilers fan. Uh, you know, if if I would have then started working for the Cowboys. I don't know how I would have felt about that. That would have been very difficult. But I never became a Texans fan. So going back to play the Texans wasn't the same. I was like, I don't care. It's the Texans. I don't care about the Texans. Um, but if it was the Cowboys, I mean, if it was Cowboys versus Oilers, that would have been a little yeah. tough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so have you got a, a question there, Rich, for Derek? Yeah. I mean, I just want to start off basically just by saying thank you um, to sort of preempt the question. Thank you for everything you guys have done. I mean, for me personally, from when I started following the Cowboys, I knew absolutely nothing really about um, American football. I got sort of roped into it from a friend and everything I learned basically about it on top of from watching games was from your guys' programming, including awesome. when I was abroad for a long period of time, I couldn't even watch games. So the only way I could keep in touch was through your guys' content. So first off, thank you very much for that. Awesome. That's um, awesome to hear. As Mike said earlier, you've been in the game a long while. Um, if you had to pick sort of one one thing, one memory that you like, that happened, and I will, for as long as I live, I will never forget that. If you had to pick one, what would it be? Oh, man, there have been so many. Um, <laughs> I know the honestly, answer. I know the answer. It's been been so many... Cowboys uh, <laughs> right right. like, been on UK Cowboys TV. That would be right up there. That's right up Maybe top three. Um, you know, actually, actually, one of the things, and it actually was, it was one of our, and this is typically the case, you tend to remember the things that hurt more than you remember the things that feel good, right? Um, so I'll tell you about one, and it actually has to do with London. Um, so we were coming to London in 2014 uh, to play the Jaguars, um, and we had the the weeks leading up to really the months leading up to it. We had been talking a lot about um, how we were going to use our social media channels in order to promote the entire trip. And uh, Shannon Gross, who I'm sure you guys know, yeah. um, he was he was at that time our social media manager. Um, and so he was kind of at the forefront of this and trying to figure out what we need to do. And I remember him coming into a meeting and saying, hey, we've talked to the league and, and the NFL has said that most teams or all teams that have been to London basically uh, use the hashtag, uh, whatever your team moniker is, UK. So Cowboys UK, Jaguars UK, um, you know, Falcons UK, whoever, right? Yeah. And so he's like, any problems with us there? We're like, no, absolutely. That sounds good. We use Cowboys UK on everything. And that'll just be a way for us to kind of aggregate everything on social mm -hmm. media so people can easily follow the trip. Um, and so we, we set out to do it. We start posting content the day that we're leaving. Uh, I remember we were putting up stuff as we were getting on the bus and then on the plane. And, and obviously we get on the plane and there's really no communication at that point because we're flying over, over, uh, you know, the, over the ocean. And so we don't really have Wi-Fi or anything. And, uh, and then we land and make a couple other posts cause we're, we're going and we, we have a couple stops with the team. And so we're posting some different stuff to keep people informed of what's going on, get to my hotel. It's been a long day. I'm really tired. Um, my phone starts to ring and, and I'm like, okay, this can't be good because it's all blowing up at once. Whenever I start getting just a lot of calls or a lot of messages all at once, yeah. then I know something's wrong. Like there's a problem <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. 
Um, and so I started getting these calls and lo and behold, there's some person on Twitter or Facebook. I can't remember. I think it was Twitter. Uh, but basically just took our, our hashtag Cowboys UK and kind of just divided it up to where it, it was hashtag Cowboys suck. Right. And, and so now <laughs> everybody is making fun of us that we're using a hashtag Cowboys suck. Now, mind you, Every team that had come to, to London before us had used the exact same thing. <laughs> Nobody cared. It was the Cowboys and the fact that the Cowboys used it. Yep. And even got to the point where that night on Jimmy Kimmel, it was a part of his opening monologue. He was talking about it. I mean, it was it was everywhere. And and it just it the, the whole point of it was that it reiterated to us that we are different than the other 31 teams. Um, our brand is bigger. People care about it more. Whether they love or hate it, they, they care about it more. And, and so we have to be so, so careful. And I remember that was just a very stressful uh, day from the standpoint of how we're going to deal with this. Are we just going to keep riding through it? Can't take stuff down. So we, we don't believe in just taking stuff down from social media. That creates even a bigger problem oftentimes in trying to then just leaving it there. And so, you know, we just kind of had to ride through it. So it made for a pretty stressful time. But you know, it again just reiterates the the point of how how valuable and how widespread and and how uh, how much people care about our brand. So, the same is going on back of that as well. It, it, it's really weird because normally, I, I say I don't know um, kind of how much you keep up. Obviously, when the other teams kind of come over, and I think from recollection, like you guys were the first team to, to kind of ever come over and kind of do something like generally the the, the road team. Or the team that's classed as the road team just kind of come into town and kind of get the game on and go. Whereas you guys kind of like, yeah, we want to keep doing kind of this. And now, like the NFL UK, have kind of jumped on the back of it. So, like on a Saturday, you'll see they'll they'll kind of segregate a couple of bars for each team. And so it's like even say like, even just from that that one little week, look at the Cowboys kind of still set the tone going forward for now what the NFL over here do, which yeah. is. Yeah. Which is crazy, and what you say when you think that you say the, the road team never does anything, and even even the Jags, they all are kind of they're kind of the adopted team of, of NFL UK. There's very little that they do when they come over in. It just shows, like you say, the brand and the standard that Cowboys want to set wherever they are. It's exactly right, and, and uh, when we, I mean, you know, Jamie, you were there, and you 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 guys helped us quite a bit in uh, in getting us all connected and being able to do the shows we were doing there, but. I mean, we did a whole week of shows, and man, it was it was so much fun. We enjoyed hanging out with you guys and talking football. But again, at that time, most teams didn't have the apparatus that we had, as far as you know. Again, like I said, we've been doing podcasts for sixteen years. Most teams had not been doing them that long, if they were doing them at that point. So their ability to be able to just kind of pick up their operation and move it to London, and then be able to just pick up and do a show for an audience was relatively limited. And um, and now there are many teams that are doing a lot of really cool things. Um, I love where we are right now as a league from the standpoint of the teams and digital and how invested they are and how capable they are. I think there are teams that are doing some phenomenal stuff. So, um, but yeah, it, it took a little while for some teams to get on board. There are many teams at that point that really hadn't invested in web, mobile, or social. Um, it, they'd done kind of the minimum. Uh, now, again, that, that's changed a lot. But for us, we were always very bullish about it. And a, another reason, again, why was because our ownership was very bullish about it, and and that allowed us to be able to do a lot of things that that other teams just didn't have a license to do. 
yeah. Well, I mean, that definitely uh, wraps up uh, talking about your your history and the the history of everything cowboys with Derek Eagleton. Um, on the other side of the show, I thought we'd get into positional breakdowns because uh, if anybody's going to know some of the uh, questions we've got. Now, it is the tight ends we're looking at, so uh, keeps it simple. We will start, first of all, uh, with the top of the chart, Oklahoma State's uh, Blake Jarwin, who's now the tight end went since uh, the GOAT has left. Um, in terms of Jason Witten leaving, how badly do you think, though, that hurts the team? Does it hurt the team, or do you think the fact he came back last year hurt the team? Yeah, I don't know that he hurt the team last year, but I, I will say this, I mean, and I'm, I'm a big Jason Witten fan, both both on the field and off the field. Personally, I think he's a really, really good good guy. Um, but I, I don't think, and I, I don't think if he were being really honest either, I don't I don't think anybody thinks that last year was his best year of football. Um, I think that uh, he was clearly not the same player he was in his prime. Um, and so, from that standpoint, you know, I think he made some plays for him last year, and he did some good things. But I think overall. Um, I actually think this year the tight end position will be improved. Um, I think that uh, I think Blake Jarwin should be getting a few more opportunities because I think he has uh -huh. uh, the ability to, to do some things that maybe Jason can't do at this point in his career. I think yeah. his athleticism uh, is obviously at a much higher level than where Jason is at this point in his career. Now, let's be clear. I haven't seen anything, and I don't think Blake has done anything yet that, make, that would make you believe that he will be Jason Witten, Jason Witten's prime. Um, Jason Witten in his prime was a phenomenal tight end. And, and now I'm talking about overall. I'm not just talking about, you know, his ability to find an open open spot and, and get open and catch the ball. Like he was yeah. very good at that. But as a run blocker, as a pass blocker, particularly as a run blocker, I mean, this guy was phenomenal. He was really, really good. He was one of, in my opinion, he's one of the best all around. You could throw out all the names of all the best tight ends out there. And I look at him and say, just if you were going all around and you're doing not just the guy that can catch the ball, but also the guy that can catch the ball and block, yeah. I think he's right up there at the top of the list. And, and so I, it, 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 is a, it is a lot to throw that on the shoulders of Blake Jarwin and say, okay, go beat Jason Witten in his prime. Um, that's not to say he can't, because uh, I, I never want to limit anybody, but I've not seen anything yet that suggests to me that he will be Jason Witten in his prime. I do think he will be better than Jason Witten's the 2019 version. Um, and so from that standpoint, I think them moving on um, and, and Jason moving on, I think is probably a little bit of an upgrade for the Cowboys. Definitely. Uh, in terms though, of Blake Jarwin's contract that they gave him, were you surprised? Uh, I mean, it's a four year contract, 22 mil. Was that a surprise to you given the fact of um, when you look statistically what Blake has done, um, that in, in that terms, the, the two didn't really go hand in hand. Do you, so do you think that's more of foresight, especially when you think tight ends, you know, that fruition age, it does, it, it's not like they're an immediate impact team. Uh -huh. It always seems to take until their late 20s for tight ends to fruition. So do you think there's a bit of that going on? Or is it, I mean, what's your take on, on the contract size? Yeah, I mean, I, to me, it, the contract didn't shock me. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I guess I would have thought maybe they would have gone a little lighter on the years, but I also get why you want to have more years. Obviously, you can it allows you to extrapolate that uh, the signing bonus over a few more years, over another year, right? So um, it wouldn't have shocked me if it was a three-year deal. It didn't yeah. shock me that it was a four-year deal. 
Um, I don't think the money is is terribly expensive. I think for a guy that's a starting tight end, and if your expectations are that he'll be able to get into the 70, 80 catches a year, then I think that's a, a fair amount. And I think that's, that's doable uh, yeah. based upon what we've seen from him so far and how I presume they will use him in the offense. Now, obviously, there's a lot of question marks there with a new <laughs> coaching staff. Um, and particularly with, with C.D. Lamb now coming into the mix. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of questions about how much they'll use the tight end. But traditionally, how they've used the tight end, I don't think that amount of money surprises me at all. Um, I think it's a very fair deal uh, for a guy that you think, again, you think that he can take that step and be a really – he can get good tight end and maybe get the really good, right? You think yeah, he does yeah. good, he can get maybe the really good. Definitely. I mean, put it this way. We had Shannon Gross on the on the show a few weeks back. You mentioned him. He actually said he, he expects uh, Jarwin to go over a thousand yards on the season. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that was the noise that's, we made. That's a bit optimistic <laughs> for me. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tear down my guy. You know, that's not good, <laughs> but uh, that's a bit optimistic for me. I mean, I look at it and say, and the hardest part to that is again, you've just brought in a guy in the first round as your third wide receiver. Yeah. Um, it, there's only so many plays. There are only so many opportunities. I just don't know. Now, let's say, for example, the Cowboys would have said, okay, we're, it, let's say that C.D. Lamb was gone uh, in the first round and they got to him and they end up going with a defensive player. And then later, let's say in the third round, uh, they, they get somebody like uh, Devin Duvernay, who is my guy in Texas, right? Um, if, if he would have been their pick in the third round and he's coming in primarily to be a slot guy, then maybe I see a scenario where you say, okay, yeah, I could see Jarwin get to a thousand, but you got yourself a stud. Like you got, in my opinion, he was the best wide receiver in this draft. Yeah. In my opinion. No, now, I, again, yeah. I'm a Texas guy. Mm-hmm. And so I watched him at Oklahoma and I particularly watched him at Oklahoma when he, when he did work on us. So I, I am, I, I believe he was the best wide receiver in this draft. And that being said, I just have a hard time thinking um, that when you've got him, and Cooper and Gallup, who, by the way, is getting better yeah. every year since he's gotten in the league. I just think they're going to be limited number of balls. And by the way, you still got this, you know, this this beast of a running back back there. <laughs> and you got Tony Pollard, who you want to work into the offense a little bit more. Yep. I just think there's so many hands that, that want to get the, their hands on the ball. I just don't see a scenario. It, well, I'll just say this. It'll be very difficult. Uh, for for Blake Jarwin, in my opinion, to get to a thousand yards, I expect at least two wide receivers to have a thousand yards. So I just don't know how realistic it is that a tight tight end also would have a thousand yards. Yeah, um, Jamie. In terms of Blake Jarwin uh, and his strengths, um, is there anything in particular that immediately stands out that you think fits the Cowboys' offense and how Mike McCarthy coaches? Do you know? I don't know because. If you look at his stats, we've not really seen a lot of him. Um, like I say, obviously a lot of that's obviously, do you know what I mean, he, he was behind Jason Witten for, for so many years and then Witt came back last year. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm at a, a blank. Um, I know that probably sounds like a, like a cop-out, to be fair, in terms of that. But like I say, just because we haven't seen, been looking at it, 58 receptions in three, in three regular seasons. Um, so it's not a lot to work with. Um, but as I said, as Derek said, I mean, it can only only improve. Um, so, I mean, it's, the tight end position as a whole, and I think on this roster, without contradicting myself a little bit, it, it scares me, but it it also excites me a little bit because there's 
we haven't seen a lot of it um, in terms of, say, receptions across what we consider the top three. But I say if, if they can work somehow, if they can work the tight end position into, into what they want to do in the offence, then it's going to be, well, it was one heck of an offence to watch last year. <laughs> yeah. so adding adding senior Lamb to the, to the mix as well, do you know what I mean? The teams are just going to struggle to, to keep this offence at bay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This is this is the thing about Blake Jarwin is he is a big question mark ultimately because we've only had in the grand scheme of things a very small sample size mm-hmm. to see what he can do. Now, what he has done, yeah, his yards after catch, I believe, are up like eleven something, I think, from when I was looking earlier. Yeah, vaguely I remember, but it's I think it's yards after catch, isn't it? Uh, oh, I don't know. Is his average uh, per reception is eleven point eight? I haven't put. Oh, that's, that's what I was looking at. Anyways, it's it's a very small sample size, and when you take into account everything that's happened previously, he was behind Jason Witten. Then we had one season where he seemed to do pretty well, where the bulk of that small sample size came from. Then Jason Witten came back. It didn't necessarily going back to what we said earlier. It didn't necessarily hurt the team, but it hurt us in a way of his development and knowing what he can do because you can't really address properly the tight end position and say, this is where we stand. This is what we have. How do we address this moving forward? If you don't know what you've already got and they don't know what they have in Blake Jarwin, it's, it's impossible to know. So mainly for me, I hope they manage to get him the ball enough this season so that we can see what we have. And there is, like Jamie said, they're not, we're not massively scared. I'm sort of the same as him. I'm not, People are putting it up as a red flag, and you can understand why. But I'm not massively concerned because there is the potential there. But is the potential genuine? Is it going to come to fruition or not? We we don't know. No, you can't really ask anyone a question about Blake Jarman without them saying I think or I don't know because we haven't seen enough. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I'll throw out there is, um, you know, the thing about football. One of the things about football is. There is because it is a contact sport. You never know how a guy, how his body, uh, will respond to additional snaps. Over his first two years, uh, Blake Jarwin has had about roughly about 550, 560 snaps uh, in the season. You look at Jason Witten's career; uh, all but three years of his career, he's had well over a thousand snaps uh, each season, almost double. Right. (laughs) And a lot of seasons more than double. Um, And so when you start thinking about it from that standpoint and you say, okay, can Blake Jarwin now go double? Can he take the number of snaps he had last year and do double that? So how many that means that he's now and a lot of that's going to be blocking. So he's slamming up against 250, 270 pound defensive ends. um, And when he's doing that, how much is that going to have an effect on him? So when we saw him last year. And he would take a pass, he'd catch it, he'd go another 20 yards for a touchdown. You know, does he have that same juice if he's now playing double the snaps and getting hit double the amount of times? Does that tend, it's like a boxer, right? The more you get hit in the gut, the less steam you've got on that right, on that right hand, right? So <laughs> I think there is, there is a part of that that I'm interested to see. How does he adapt to the increased workload if there's going to be an increased workload, which I expect there will be. But how is he going to respond to that increased workload um, and still be able to be uh, be productive? That'll be something worth taking a look at and, and keeping an eye on as they go through the season. Definitely. I mean, if we're talking, mind you, about small sample size, 
I mean, the next two guys on the roster have got even smaller samples. So, first of all, we'll go with the homegrown. So, we'll go Dalton Schultz um, from Stanford. Uh, he's about the same size uh, as Blake, but a totally different player in terms of skill set. Uh, he's into his third year. Cowboys took him in the fourth round in 2018 just to give uh, a rundown of when you talk sample size. Schultz so far in his time with the Cowboys, has racked up 13 receptions for 122 yards, uh, no touchdowns, and he's managed six first downs. None of them occurred, mind you, last season. Uh, in terms of Dalton Schultz, Derek, do you think this is a guy that they're still trying to develop? Do you think that there's something there, or do you think that this is a case of he, he's on the roster until something else comes along? Okay, I'm, I'm going to give you guys my opinion. Yeah, 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 of course. I, I, at this point, I think Dalton Schultz is clearly the third tight end. Again, mm-hmm. my opinion. I have not seen I have not seen enough from him in his first couple of years uh, with the Cowboys that make me makes me believe um, he is a good blocker. I don't yeah. think that's a good that's a part of his game that really has advanced. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to be quite honest with you, we really haven't seen a lot from him as a pass catcher. No. Um, and so. When you start thinking about it, if Blake Jarwin's going to be your number one, which we all presume he will be, the money says he will be. Yeah. Then the number two tight end, uh, particularly in 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 most offenses, um, and I think in this one where you're talking about having three wide receivers, the caliber of the ones you have, the times that the second tight end comes into the game, his primary role will be to block. He will not yeah. be coming in to catch passes. Yeah. And so for me, I look at Dalton Schultz, and I feel like that's the worst part of his game. And I think that that's going to be what he's expected to do. And I just I have a hard time thinking he's going to excel at that because I haven't seen it yet. Now, again, I always caution to say whatever my opinions are, are based upon history, based upon what I've seen. That doesn't mean a guy can't perform above what he's done in the past. And so in in that way, absolutely, I allow for the opportunity that Dalton Schultz can have a phenomenal offseason and prepare himself and all the things he's gone through over the first few years of his career now will come together to make him a really viable uh, option at tight end. I, I don't know what that is, but based upon history, I personally believe that he is the third tight end on this team. And, and depending on what you see from some of the younger guys uh, that the Cowboys have brought in, uh, maybe he's not on the team, but I, I don't think he unseats uh, either of the other two guys, either of the Blakes. I don't think he unseats yeah. either one of those guys uh, this season. I mean, you know, when you even talk about get my words out, pass catching. I mean, even in college, during his entire college career, he only had fifty-five receptions. Right. So I mean, the 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 usage of him being a pass catcher is so small. Um, I mean, it's pretty obvious where they were using. I mean, you know, Stanford were using him as an extra lineman, but I I'm in agreement with you that it's not so much the technique with him. It's more the power. He seems to lack power in being able to generate any sort of uh, leverage on the outside to be able to, to turn his guy. Uh, it's something I, I've seen, and I'm in agreement with you. Um, but as you say, there's another Blake on the team, and um, I'm sure you agree, uh, Rich. Is Blake Bell going to be the tight end two on this roster, do you think? I believe so. I'm in complete agreement yeah. with yourself, with the, with the two of you. Um, we the thing we're going to miss. I've, I've always thought we're going to miss most from Jason Witten going is the blocking side of things. Yeah. I think the pass catching side of things is is necessarily there's not going to be that much of a drop off. 
especially with the wide receiver goal we got, but even on just looking at the tight end position, I think he has the most realistic potential of filling that gap um, and being that number two. Me personally, I, w- I would definitely say that. Okay. I would say this though too uh, on that. Uh, I actually think, you know, Jason, as I was saying a little earlier, Jason was a phenomenal blocker in the prime yeah. of his mm-hmm. career. But as the years have gone on, I think over the years, it declined quite a bit from where he was in this prime. And so I actually think right now, I think Blake Blake Bell may actually be a slight improvement from the standpoint of blocking than what you were Mm -hmm. getting from the 2019 version version of Jason Witten. And again, this is not this is not to kill Jason Witten. Uh, Again, in his prime, I don't think you have a tight end on this team who's as good as Jason Witten in his prime. I think the 2019 version, though, of Jason Witten, I think you have two tight ends now that I think can be a little bit better from a blocking standpoint than what you got from Jason in 2019. The, the yeah. only thing I've noticed with Blake Bell, when you even look at his size, when you look at the stat line, though, I know he's jumped around a few teams uh, you know, mm-hmm. over the years since he got drafted. Something I've noticed that no team seems to have used, and I'm wondering if this is where the Cowboys are going down, is in that fullback, halfback role. And when you look at his skill set and his athleticism, and he's a former quarterback. He played yeah. quarterback as well. Uh, yeah, he did, some, he did some work on my team as well back in college. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I'm wondering, do you think that perhaps they're going to, that he's going to be that guy who flexes in and out of the backfield, perhaps? It's just not uh, something you know, it's just hard to say that because you just don't know what this offense is going to look like. I mean, the, the one thing I loved about the hire of, of Mike McCarthy is that um, what he did the entire, I don't know how much you guys have heard about the story of what he did the entire year he was out of football. Uh, but, but the fact that he spent the entire year really researching the analytics of football and understanding uh-huh. what the trends were and what works and what doesn't work, um, why it works. Um, and really doing a lot of, of analytical work around football, to me, means that I don't even think we can go into this season or this preseason assuming that Mike McCarthy will be the same coach and run the same kind of offense uh, that he ran in Green Bay. Um, I think what we can expect is the unexpected. We can yeah. expect that he's probably yep. going to have some things that he's learned over the last year that will be remarkably different and will raise a lot of eyebrows because – he found, hey, there's an opportunity to exploit this. And mm-hmm. so this will be what we do. Uh, and people won't necessarily expect it to happen. And I think he's got a ton of weapons, obviously, at his disposal to be able to do that. So, so I, you know, I just don't think that we can – I don't think we really know how they're going to deploy a guy like Blake Bell. Uh, the one thing I know is he will be, in my opinion, your second tight end. Yeah. And his primary role will be to catch the – I mean, will be to, to block. Uh, because again, you've got a ton of pass catchers. I don't expect uh-huh. him to catch the ball a whole lot, and I don't expect him to put him in situations where he's going to be catching the ball a whole lot. I think his responsibility will be: we want to go twelve personnel. He's our second tight team. We want to go thirteen personnel. He's on the field, and his job will be: make sure you block this guy and don't let him get to the ball carrier. I think that's going to be his role. Do you see? Yep. Uh, do you see them though, based on the fact that they've took CD Lamb so high? Do you see though? There being much 12-man personnel? Uh, again, this is where we, we go, go back to it's hard to know. You. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, that was one of Jason. Jason Garrett loved 12 personnel. Oh, yeah. He would go 12 <laughs> personnel a lot. 
<laughs> you know, what we might find out with this coaching staff is 13 may be their preferred way to go. And they may be in, uh, I'm sorry, not 13, but 11. They yeah. may be in 11 personnel where you got one tight end, one running back, and three wide receivers. They may be doing that a ton because they look at it and say that best fits. And then in that case, Blake Bell gets on the field for special teams. And, mm-hmm. and Blake Bell gets on the field when they need to give Blake Jarwin a breath, right? So, I, you know, I, I, I actually personally, I actually think if I'm looking at the personnel, I want to see, you know, I want to see either 11 personnel yeah. or or I want to see a situation where maybe they take the tight end out altogether mm-hmm. and, and give me, you know, four guys out wide and one of those guys is Tony Pollard, right? Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what I would prefer to see. And I want to see, mm-hmm. I want to see them really go high octane here. And, and I actually think, quite frankly, I think their defense fits that as well. I think this defense, if you can get them a lead, I think they have the ability uh, to be able to, to really close out games because I think a guy like Demarcus Lawrence can close out games for you. If, yeah. if he's got a lead and he can pin his ear, ears back and just go. And I think the upgrading of the interior part of the line, particularly Gerald McCoy, gives you those kind of horses. Well, now you can go get the quarterback, especially in situations where you got a lead. So I would be spreading this thing out. And going for yep. their throat, and I'm I'm talking. I know Dave uh, and those guys on the draft show. They coined that term, the forty burger. Like yeah. that's what I'm thinking. Like forty <laughs> points a game, man. Try to put up the, the huge points and let your defense play with a lead. And I think all the way around, the whole team concept fits. Yeah, that typical Big Twelve type game. Then, if you like, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're completely used to that. I mean, um, one of the things I said before was um, Cowboys go in more um, like two running back if you like and no tight end and I mentioned this I can't remember who it was with it might have been with Dave Hellman and he, he, he kind of disagreed but I said but well, what if you had both running backs and then you flex Pollard out as an extra wide receiver and you're saying that so I'm like yay somebody's on my side <laughs> and by the way me and Dave disagree on almost everything so that doesn't surprise me <laughs> that's what we do we disagree we look for opportunities to disagree so it's good yeah, and I mean, I, I was trying to run through in my head a sort of comparison, a player comparison for uh, people back home. The guy I put down uh, as something as close to Blake Bell's type game was Dion Sims, who used to play for the Bears. Um, but we'll move on then to the last three guys um, who are really, uh, I think, we'll just wrap them all up in, in one um, sort of envelope to end the show. We've got uh, Cole uh, Hukatini, who was an undrafted free agent, uh, for the 49ers again. Um, this is a guy who really hasn't done literally anything on the stat line. And then we had another two undrafted free agents. We had uh, Sean McKeon and the guy who I only pronounce as Charlie Tao. I'm not going to try and pronounce the full <laughs> name. <laughs> We've tried that one before. Um, give it to I, Jamie. I, 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 we give it to Jamie. <laughs> no, no, I, did, I did write it down. If I'm going to get right here. Tumapeo, if I think if I pronounce it right, Tumapeo. What do you think, Derek? Was he close on that one? I guess. I guess. Yeah, we'll just call him. We'll call him we'll call him, we'll call him, we, we just call him Charlie Tao. Um, Jamie, I mean, I mean, I may as well stick with you, mate. Those three guys, I mean, we, we, we're pretty much set that the first three guys are going to be the tight end, one, two, and three on the roster. Do you see any of these three guys uh, either making uh, whatever it's going to be, whether it's the 53 or the 55? I mean, he keeps changing with things going forward. Do you see any of them making the full-time roster or even the practice squad? You're probably looking at practice squad, are you? Just with 
kind of the abundance of talent that we've got at running back and at wide receiver. Um, I mean, I can only really see the Cowboys probably at most carrying three tight ends going into the season. Um, is there really a need to carry more than that? I, I don't think so. I'd say one of these guys probably find his way onto the practice squad and then you've got more time than to see what you've got and can you develop this guy into someone that can maybe in a couple of years be a third or maybe that second tight end. But apart from that, I don't think there's much more really, to be honest. No disrespect yeah. to the guys, it's just, it's just the roster we've got at the minute. Yeah. Really stacked and this team, yeah, is in a different direction to what we might have done at tight end in previous years. Definitely. You know what I would say there? I do think uh, that, that one of those guys has a unique opportunity because what I said about Dalton Schultz, I don't know that Dalton Schultz, like here's the tough part for Dalton Schultz. He hasn't really shown a ton in my opinion. No. And, and when you have a new coaching staff, a lot of times the old coaching staff, if they were the ones that drafted you, they know what their intention for you was. Like they know why they drafted you because they uh-huh. looked at you and they saw something that suggested we can use him in this role and he can be of value to us. Um, the new coaching staff may not have that same opinion. And so if, if he doesn't have a great camp and one of these young guys does, then I think it creates a scenario, two scenarios, actually. One, that that, that person actually makes the squad ahead of Dalton Schultz and Dalton Schultz is, is let go. Or I, I think there may there could be some consideration as to whether the Cowboys go with two tight ends. Let's assume for a second they feel like, hey, we think we're going to run a ton of 11 personnel. Mm-hmm. We're going to want to get our second running back more involved. We do, do also have a fullback. We're going to want to get him involved. Um, and so we don't know that we necessarily will be in packages where we're going to be using three tight ends. So we'll take one of these young tight ends. We'll put them on our practice squad, bring them up if there's an injury. Uh, but maybe we go with just two because we don't think like we don't think the third one will ever be active and that we'll ever really use them. And so – you know, again, I'm, these are all suppositions because yeah, we don't yeah. know what their offense is going to be and how they're going to deploy it. But um, I will be interested to see. And, and again, if they don't see value in Dalton Schultz as a special teams player, that also factors in because your third tight end is going to have to play special teams for you. Yeah. So if he's not a good special teams player in their eyes, um, then then I think that also factors in. And maybe it gives an opportunity to one of these younger guys to be able to step in and unseat mm-hmm. him or get an opportunity where there's only two tight ends and they'd be the, the guy that's on the practice squad as the next guy in line in the event something happens to one of the top two guys. Definitely. So do, do you feel out of those three final guys, if you like, I mean, you know, particularly Cole has bounced from practice squad uh, to a couple of practice squads now. Um, do you think he's really the, the guy in line based on experience or honestly, I don't I don't see anything in those three guys that necessarily stand out to me. Again, I haven't studied them in depth to know what their skills are and what their talents are. Um, at the end of the day, I don't I don't see. I mean, it is very difficult based upon the resume of those three guys. It's very difficult to make an NFL roster. Um, yeah. But again, it, there is a unique opportunity here because the third guy here, I don't think necessarily is the, the answer. And so that creates a unique opportunity. So if one of them can show enough during training camp to where it intrigues coaches enough to say, hey, we need to keep this guy around, then I think that could create some opportunity. And again, I don't know which one that would be, yeah. uh, but there is a unique opportunity for all three of them if they're willing to, to step up and, and make that make themselves uh, you know, valued. OK, and then I'll give you the last say, Rich, uh, on these last three tight ends. 
Uh, if you were to rank them one, two, and three, how would you rank them? Gosh. Um, all, honestly, all the same, because I don't know that much about them, in all okay. honesty. They're kind of, in the tight end group, they're, no disrespect to them, they're kind of the Mr. Irrelevant, to give them that title. It's, <laughs> I mean, I, I was thinking from the same sort of, or coming from the same thinking coming in from Derek of it's, do they even have three? And if so, yeah, there's there's lots of changes on this team. I don't think Schultz necessarily makes this team and there is a potential opportunity there. But then I'm thinking, well, who is there out of these three guys that sort of even just remotely stands out and says, put that guy in the practice squad, let's just see. Let's just try and develop him, see what, see what we can do with him in the future. There's no one here that really stands out like that. Like every... Not necessarily every year, but every now and again, the Cowboys do a really good job of it, of saying, we have this person, he's undrafted, put him on the practice squad because we might necessarily want to bring him in in the future, depending on what happens. There's, in that tight end group of those three guys, there's no one that really has that. Um, so I think for that reason, maybe Schultz may well stick around for another year, purely because they don't know what they have. And yeah. none of those three guys stick out, but I couldn't rank them, me personally. <laughs> No, I really couldn't. I'll just be honest. No, no, no. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, uh, we just uh, let let you wrap that up with the final say because we always know you, you like to have the last word uh, as we find out <laughs> the conversation. <laughs> 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 yeah, but uh, obviously uh, we know that your time is precious, Derek, and you've got uh, other engagements after us. Uh, so we'll wrap this up as it is. Just a quick shout out before we say goodbye uh, to Derek. Uh, obviously, if you're booking for a game this year, make sure you book it through Cowboys Experience. Uh, do their travel packages and tours. Use the booking code UK Cowboys uh, for the special gift. Uh, so make sure you do that and send us some pictures when you're there. We'd love to see what's going on. But Derek, uh, obviously, like we said, you've uh, got other things going on. So we'd like to thank you, first of all, uh, for joining us for this hour, speaking to us. It's a pleasure to see you and talk to you and mm -hmm. pick your brains. As we say, well, you know, you've probably forgotten more than we'll ever know. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that, but <laughs> I do appreciate you guys inviting me. It's always good to catch up with you guys. Like I said, we have a real fondness. Uh, for, our, for our folks over there in the, in the UK. So I appreciate you guys having me on and, and uh, giving me an opportunity to be able to speak to the audience there. No, no, it's pleasure's all I was, mate. Uh, but obviously from myself, from Jamie and Rich uh, and Derek, thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you all again next week.